chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 21, uh, down through the end of the chapter. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. The Bible says, And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. May God bless his word. Let's bow together in prayer. Our God, we're so thankful today for another opportunity to to worship you, to magnify uh, the name of our precious Savior, uh, your Son. And I pray, Father, that you would Bless this body of believers. Uh, we have many needs, Father, and, and I want to pray uh, just for a few of them. I think of Peg Willie, Lord, and thank you for the, giving her so many years. And um, I know that her her health is such. I believe I heard she had another fall. Uh, Lord, I'm glad that you protected her. We're so thankful for that. And we're thankful for her years uh, being able to come to church. And I pray you just give her extra grace and strength. Also pray for Violet's mom, Beulah, that you'd help her, uh, this dear lady who is in constant pain. Uh, I pray for Joanne Tomkowitz, Pat Sanino, Don Watkins, Jean Brace, uh, Carl Dietz, Kathy Honey, and then this uh, man that professed Christ on Sunday last week. Pray that you would help him to get grounded in the Word. I also pray for Jamie Sanino or Sprague's little precious girl, that you'd bless her and thank you that she's home now. I pray that you'd bless Travis and Christine's uh, precious little boy that you just bless them with. Thank you, Lord, for births. Thank you for life. Thank you for the privilege of those that are able to be parents. We just pray for, uh, especially Travis and Christine being the newest parents that we know, that you would help them and encourage them and just bless them as they raise little Carter for your glory. And Lord, we just thank you again for this day. Give us a great day of worship, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, please take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Thank you for being here this morning. I want to, this morning, develop some 
thoughts that I had shared just over a month ago. It was um, November 2nd's prayer meeting on Zoom. So those of you uh, that are that join us for our prayer meeting, this may sound a little familiar, uh, at least some of the thoughts, uh, but I'm going to develop them longer and more here today uh, as we talk uh, about what the Bible says, about an issue that I heard many years ago. It was at a, a conference, and the speaker talked about there's two kinds of people, he said. There are energy givers, and there are energy takers. And I don't remember him using any scripture references, which to me is very important. Um, I tend to be very skeptical, uh, and I think you should too. You know, the Bereans, remember the Bereans? They searched the scriptures daily to see whether what Paul said was true. Uh, but that message stuck in my mind. Energy givers, energy takers. I remember thinking initially, is this some new age thing? You know, the kundalini force. You ever hear that? Anyone that's familiar with new age? Uh, it's, it's, it's not something that's in the scriptures. But I've noticed over the years that that concept, there are people that seem to drain you of your energy. And then there's people that, when you're around them, they seem to infuse you with energy. So is this some new age thing? And then a while back, Lynn recommended a book uh, that took me a while before I got to it, but it was called Energy Bus. And it's really, uh, it's an allegory, and uh, really much like Pilgrim's Progress, but not from a Christian perspective, uh, but a really good story that brought this thing to my forefront. Because again, I've thought about it over the years. You know, what is it you know, about energy? So, you know, ba- way back when I first heard it, I decided to look it up in the scriptures. Does the Bible say anything about being people being energy givers and energy takers? So I took out my concordance, looked up the word energy in our King James Bible, And you know how many times it's in there? Zero. And so that's, you know, that was it. I I went, I moved on. But after this recent thinking about all this and just marveling that, you know, I meet people that are just, they, I am energized by them. And um, again, you know, I tend to be skeptical of that kind of thing. My, My wife will tell you whenever she tells me something that's, out of the ordinary, like some ointment or remedy you try, I will often joke around and say, well, do, you have to, do you have to chant some words before you take it? You know, joking around. So what is this idea of, of you know, what does, does the Bible say anything about energy? Okay, it doesn't say the word energy. And then I found out why. Very interesting. The word energy, the English word energy, up until the, um, up until the, well, first of all, it originated somewhere around 1590, and the word energy simply, it meant something totally different than it does right now, initially. The word energy simply meant, uh, it literally meant force of expression, and it focused on someone's facial expression 
And by the way, that's interesting. We're going to pick up with that thought tonight. Because God tells Jeremiah twice in the first chapter, first he says, be not afraid of their faces. And then secondly, he says, in the text we're going to look at tonight, be not dismayed at their faces. Facial expressions can drain somewhat of energy. And isn't that it? That's where the word came from. That's tonight. But it's interesting that what I discovered was that the word energy, it's actually a Greek word. But it was, and the English word energy, up until the 1660s, uh, had a different meaning. It wasn't until the 1660s that the word energy, which again just meant facial expression, came to mean what we understand it. Power, energy, that kind of thing. The way you think of when you think of energy. Now, 1660. Anybody know when our King James Bible was produced? 1611. That's why the word energy is not found in our King James Bible. It is found in modern Bibles, other modern Bibles. So the word energy, the the Greek word that's translated differently in our King James, the Greek word energy is in the Scriptures. In fact, it's found, let me give you the, the information here if I can find it. Well, we'll wait till we look at the Scriptures, okay? Um, it is definitely a Bible term. Many of our English words, even in our King James Bible, come from the Greek word energy. So the Bible has a lot to say about energy. And so we're going to look at a couple, several texts because there is really something to this idea of, of being someone that is, um, first of all, tapped into the, the source of energy. And by the way, there's actually two places where you can get your energy from, according to the Scriptures. God and Satan. And I hope today uh, that your energy comes from God. And so here, let me give you the outline, and we're just going to jump right in. Three points we want to look at. First of all, energy in the book. Now, what's the Bible say about energy? Number two, energy of the Christian. And there's a passage, our text for today, uh, talks about, Paul uses this word, energy, and he also uses several synonyms and other Greek words that also talk about energy or power. And very important. Uh, we want to learn from that. And then thirdly, uh, energy through the church. If we have time, this could end up being a two-parter, which if we do break it up into two parts, the next one won't be until after the holidays, I'm sure. But energy in the book. So I mentioned to you that the Bible does talk about energy because as you know, the New Testament, or many of you will know, the New Testament was written in Greek. And energy is a word in English that comes from the Greek. And that Greek word definitely is, is many places in the scriptures. Now again, remember this. The English word did not come to mean what it means today until after the King James Version came out. So, does the Bible... First of all, the Bible has power. Remember what Hebrews 4.12 says? For the word of God is quick. And that's a Greek word for the word alive. Remember the, the old... Isn't there an old movie called The Quick and the Dead? That doesn't mean fast. The speedy and the dead. 
No, it's the, the living and the dead. And so the Bible says the word of God is quick. It's alive. And it is what? Next word? Powerful. Guess what the Greek word is that's translated powerful? Energy. The Bible is energy. It is. It's quick, it's alive, and it's powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing. Talk about the energy. What does it do? What does it, you know, what action does it do? Pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow. You ever been cut open by God's word? I sure have. Just do your devotions, you're reading the Bible. You've been there, and something cuts you deep. It's, oh, that hurts. It's cutting deep. Exposes, you know, motives and things like that. The Bible has energy. And so this word that I mentioned here in Hebrews 4.12, the word that's translated powerful is the Greek word for energy, depending on the noun, verb, form. And in fact, it's, it's found, the word energy it's found in the New Testament eight times as a noun and 21 times as a verb. So the word energy is definitely in your Bible. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Now the concept of energy and enthusiasm and the idea of working and power is, is just throughout all kinds, all kinds of scriptures. Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily. As to the Lord and not unto men. That's not the word for energy. That's another word, suke, which means do it from your soul. But that's energy, isn't it? Whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Put some energy into it. Put some enthusiasm in it. Is that what you do? As to the Lord? Philippians 3.6. Paul talks about before he got saved. How zealous he was persecuting the church. He spent a lot of energy and time persecuting the church. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, the Bible says Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So there are many passages in Scripture that are translated, uh, that could be, tr- could be translated energy. Even not just the Greek ones, the, the Greek the ones that are the Greek word energy, that would obviously be you know a good English word, but there's also Greek word where we get the word dynamite from dunamis, that's translated power, and uh, and and that's energy too, isn't it? There's so many different ones. So I want to talk for a minute about this idea of understanding. How words change. Again, th- in fact, there's people, no doubt, that would hear this message and they'd say, energy's not in my King James Bible, so the Bible doesn't mention energy, so it's all New Age bunk. Really? You know, the Bible um, talks about... Under- in fact, there's a quote that I heard a preacher say based on 1 Corinthians 14. I'll quote you the scripture in a minute. But he said this, edification requires intelligibility. It's based on, in fact, I'll give you the verse right now. It's based on 1 Corinthians 14, 9. 
Paul said this, So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words to be easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Let me read that again. Except you utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, <coughs> how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Do you know that verse would be a great theme for the preface to the King James Version because that's what Miles Smith talked about through that whole thing. He talked about the importance, and that's why they were doing a new translation. The importance of understandability. Of course, they were uh, early on in translating the Bible into English. But how important it is for us to understand words. Listen to what William Tyndale said. Actually, William Tyndale, this is a famous quote of his, and he was the first one that gave us that gave us a translation of the Bible into English from the original languages. And he said this. He said, If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. He was in a debate with a, a priest about the Bible and knowing the Bible. Uh, and that was his response. Now, I believe he got that quote from Erasmus, who said something very similar years before that. Now, Erasmus is the one that gave us the Texas Receptus, which is what the King James is based upon, the New Testament. Listen to what Erasmus said. He said, I would, ha- I would have these words translated into all languages so that not only Scots and Irish, but Turks and Saracens, that's Muslims or Arabs in that context, that they too might read them. Talking about the Scriptures. I long for the plowboy to sing them to himself as he follows his plow, the weaver to hum them to the tune of his shuttle, and the traveler to beguile with them the dullness of his journey. By the way, beguile is an old English word. We're talking Erasmus many, many years ago. But these men are saying, and what they did, praise God, was they, they gave the English in the common tongue when it was not available. What an important thing. And so now I want to address this real quickly because I heard a preacher this, this week, Baptist preacher, who did it, put out a, a video called Have We Made Greek a God? And, and it, he was one of these caught up in a conspiracy theory and his whole argument on, uh, in this video was that Strong's Concordance is a... Cons- there's a conspiracy Strong's Concordance is designed to undermine the King James Version, which is ridiculous, really ridiculous. And he quoted a scripture as an example, uh, 2 Corinthians 2.17, which says, We are not as many which corrupt the word of God. So now if you look that up in Strong's Concordance, Strong's Concordance says that the word corrupt isn't talking about toying with the words of the King James Version. It's, you know, that, that what Strong's will tell you, it's actually a, um, an economic term that means to peddle or to, uh, to market for profit. And wouldn't you know it, the new translations use the word hawk or peddle. It's a grand conspiracy. First of all, the Greek word that is translated corrupt in 2 Corinthians 2.17 
literally, in fact, it was a word that was very common. It's, it's used by Josephus, who was a Jewish historian around the time of Christ. And he used that Greek word that's translated corrupt. And he translated it with the idea of peddling, of doing something just for filthy lucre. And by the way, there is a, um, in fact, I have a copy, uh, Betsy's copy of the, def- I think one of the greatest tools for the King James, those of you that use the King James Version, is called the Defined Study Bible. And it's, it, what it does is it gives updated words because words are outdated. You know that Do- Donald Waite, who produced that, has been severely criticized because, uh, for example, in this one, 2 Corinthians, uh, the one I just quoted about corrupting the Word of God, in the Defined Study Bible, he has, as a note, he has debase or deceitfully peddle. Now, this guy on YouTube was saying, it means to corrupt the Word of God, not peddle, and he was slamming all the modern versions because of that. It's crazy. And so a guy, like, a guy like the guy I listened to would hear my message and say, you know, the Bible doesn't use the word energy, so this, this preacher is preaching a new age message. No, I'm not. The Bible does talk about energy if you study the word. And I want to ask you today, are you someone who, first of all, is tapped into the right energy source and then secondly are you someone that is allowing god to energize others through your life because if you're not you may be unwittingly one of those people that is an energy taker that you drain people don't be a don't be a drainer don't be an energy drainer so let's talk about this the energy of the Christian. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. And this, this passage is exciting because it uses various terms in the Greek that could properly be translated energy. In fact, let me give you the definition of the word energy. I have often over the years quoted Webster's 1828 dictionary, right? Well, guess what? I found a new dictionary. So you may never hear me say Webster's 1828 again. It is, the, um, it is called the Oxford English Dictionary. It is the most scholarly, most thorough English dictionary that studies. This is amazing. This book studies not just what the word means, but what it has meant over the years for the entire since English has been a language which English started, uh, when did English start? 14, no, it started with, it started with the uh, Ottoman Empire. We won't go into all that. But this is amazing. The Oxford English Dictionary, when it first came out in 1928, there were 10 volumes. Each volume was about this thick. Wow. That was in 1928. In 1989, they came out with the second edition. Guess how many volumes that was? 20 volumes. I mean, there is no other... So you're going to be hearing me quoting a lot from... If I call it the OED, that's what a lot of people call it, you'll know it's the Oxford English Dictionary. And uh, it is, it's, it's, it's so exciting. I love words. 
You know that, don't you? You need to love words. You need to study words because words change. It's very important. So let's talk about energy. Look at Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse 27. In fact, let's back up to get the context. Verse 10. Colossians 1 and verse 10. This, is, this was Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Is in verse 10. This was what he was praying to God for them. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now notice all the terms that speak of energy or power. Being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might. That's, by the way, the word might is the Greek word for dynamite. According to his glorious power. By the way, there's a play on words there. It's the same Greek word. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious might, would be a proper translation. Or, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious power, would also be a proper translation. It's, again, the word dynamite. Unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power, that's again the dynamite. Or no, that's a different Greek word. And that's a word, the Greek word where we get our English word exercise. So we got dynamite, we got exercise, and we've got energy. All Greek words. Uh, who delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now let's look at verse 20, 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. Now verse 29 is a, a mine of words that... that are synonymous with energy. Whereunto. So again, Paul's praying, verse 28, we preach Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, so that we might present every man perfect in Christ, whereunto, it's Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving. See that word striving? That's another Greek word, and we get our, another English word from that, agonize. Agonizo. So we get the word agony from it. So striving or agonizing according to his working which worketh in me mightily. The, for, the word for working, for his working, Greek word for energy. Which worketh, the second one uh, is... The same, the same Greek word for energy. And then in me mightily is the word for dynamite, powerfully. So look at verse 29 is all about energy, isn't it? Whereunto I also labor, striving, agonizing according to his energy, which energizes in me powerfully. So folks, that's where you and I, that's the, remember I told you there's two sources where you can get energy? This is the one where if you're born again, you have that. You're tapped into that source. And unless you quench the Spirit, unless you resist God's working, you've tapped out. Not tapped out, in other words. You can't sever yourself 
from a relationship with Christ. Praise God for that. But you can quench the Spirit. You know, remember Jesus talked about abide in me and, I'll, and, and my words abide in you. That's the idea of ta- being tapped into the source. When you got saved, you opened up access in your life for the energy of God to work through you. And praise God, folks. Because without Christ, you can do nothing. And a lot, a lot of people have tried. A lot of people have tried to live the Christian life in the flesh. And it is, it's a dead end. It, it, it must be the most frustrating thing in all the world to try to live God's principles, the, the spirit of the scriptures, in the flesh. So I ask you, what are you tapped into? Now remember, early on in verse 13, it told us that He's delivered us and brought us into the kingdom of His dear Son, but it also mentions in verse 13 that other source of energy that you don't want to be tapped into. Verse 13, Who hath delivered us from the power, that's Greek dunamis, energy, same idea, the power of darkness, and that translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. See, that's the other source. Do you know that Satan can energize people? In fact, he will very famously energize someone in the end times. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and giving them some insight about the end times because he's, he's told them Jesus is going to be coming again. Imminent return of Christ. He could return today. By the way, that still holds true, folks. Paul wanted those believers in Thessalonica to be living every day in anticipation of Christ's coming. He especially wants, he wants us to do the same. But it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed. You ever heard of the Antichrist? That wicked shall be revealed. And then it says this in verse 9, Even him whose coming is after the working working the energy of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So does Satan give energy? He does. He's going to be the one that energizes the Antichrist with all power and signs and lying wonders. And folks, he energizes people today with his deception, people that believe lies, I mentioned recently, I forget in what context, might have been a prayer meeting, that uh, there was a a religious leader, not of our stripe, um, in Ireland. He was a retired priest who, during a service one day, um, condemned certain things in his homily. He condemned uh, abortion. He condemned homosexuality. He condemned transgenderism. And during that service, and by the way, that's becoming less and less of a popular message to condemn that stuff. People literally walked out when he was giving the homily. And, uh, and, and it, was such a, it became such a scandal that the bishop of that district had to come out publicly and apologize profusely because so many people's feelings were hurt. That's what it's all about today. 
And they have put this man, he's no longer going to be able to do any more church services in, in Ireland. Uh, and he was interviewed and he says, there's no, no Catholic around that can show me that I was wrong. And he's right. He's right. But um, folks, there's another energy out there today. There's a battle going on. Uh, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities and powers. There's an energy out there uh, Satan as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Folks, there is action. There's power. There's energy. There's exercises against us. And so we have to stand. We need the armor of God because this stuff is very real. And we absolutely need to be energized by God Almighty. Last point, once you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. So first point is energy in the book. The word of God is dynamite. Hebrews 4.12. Secondly, energy of the Christian. That would be Colossians 1, specifically verse 29. It uses just about every... Every Greek word translated in English that would end up, each of those words would go on and become an, uh, its own English word like energy that we definitely use it all the time. So it is found in the scriptures. Don't let anyone tell you differently. So now we talk about energy through the church. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. We begin to see the, this, these, these Greek energy words. Ephesians 1.19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power, Greek word dynamite or dunamis, to usward who believe according to the, see the next word, working, that's the Greek word for energy, of his mighty power. There's power. We have all these terms here in this context. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Paul was not operating under his own power. In fact, it's a good thing it, that was tested, and it will always be tested. God wants to make sure that he gets the glory, and he provides. And so sometimes he will allow us to go through things that sap us of our own strength. And that happened to Paul. In fact, humanly, Paul said, uh, talking about certain trial in his life, he said, we were without strength, so we despaired even of life. It's like sometimes God has to empty us so that all we can do is turn to Him. And then His power comes into our lives. Now, let's go to Ephesians 4. Because we're going through Ephesians now, building up. Remember, the chapters were added much, much later. 1,400 plus years later when it was written. Ephesians 4.16. You've heard this verse a lot. This is another energy verse. And it's all about how the church is designed. And, and the head of the church is the one that, remember, he's the one that gives the power. But that the church is his avenue <clears throat> to energize God's people. Look at Ephesians 4, 16. From whom the whole body, that's the body of Christ, the church, fitly joined together and compacted. It's a picture of the human body 
And Paul had already used the, the picture of a foot, an eye, the ear, the, you know, the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. And he's liking it to the body of Christ. So we are all body parts, folks. And we, there's only one head, Jesus Christ. And the rest of us are just different body parts. And how does your body do if it acts apart from the rest of the body? Well, you've heard of people losing their hand, fingers, toes. doesn't go well for that body which separates, that body part that separates. It says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working, the energy in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. Folks, God... Jesus said, I will build my church. How does he build it? How does he sustain it? How does he energize it? Through the, through the believers. You are an integral part of this church. And this church is healthier when all the parts function as they should. How important that is. God does not want us to be isolated from one another. You know that? God wants us to need one another. We do need one another. Yet there's more and more people today, professing believers, that are saying, I don't need the church. And, and I don't, I understand what those, so many people, folks, when you, when you stick with one body for a while, there's some hurts, right? You ever been hurt by another Christian? Well, if you go to another church because you were hurt at one church, and that's the only reason you're leaving a church, and you go to another sound Bible-believing church, guess what? There's going to be a different person there that's going to hurt you. Because God, and God allows that because He's trying to grow you. And if you, if you say, I'm done with church, I'm done with people, then you're also saying, I'm done with the body of Christ. Lord, I don't need to be tapped into the head. Now, you, you're not removing yourself from salvation. Praise God. But without me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. And when you and I are not abiding in the vine, His body walking with Him, it's not going to turn out so well. I read a, a, an illustration about um, power, energy, and it was from Niagara Falls. You ever been? How many of you have been to Niagara Falls? Probably about... Oh, not, not as many. Okay, less than half. Uh, Niagara Falls is amazing. Listen to how much water goes uh, down the river. Six million cubic feet of water each minute pour over the waterfalls. That's why it is the most powerful waterfall in the United States. And when you get close to that, it is an awesome sight. In fact, it is an awesome feel. To stand near, just, you know, they have these paltry railings that when you're that close to such power, I, I, get, I get freaky with heights. And I remember standing next to that and just backing up a little bit. And you start all of a sudden, you see people that are closer. I mean, that is a power, folks, that you want to stand back from. I don't know how people, there are people that literally just jumped in and apparently they're attracted, you know, people that are just in despair, they go there. There is so much power. Again, 6 million cubic feet of water each minute. 
Yet, and here's what I did not know, more than 50% of the river's water is diverted before it reaches the falls via four tunnels, uh, huge tunnels. Uh, they, it, the water passes through what's called hydroelectric turbines that supply power for the cities and the places near Niagara Falls, both America and Canada. And um, it's just amazing that when you stand at Niagara Falls, that's not even all the power that there could be. There's so much more power that can, can, that can electrify and provide electricity for a large area around it. And so that brings out a, a physics principle that power without control dissipates into useless energy. There's a good point. Power without control dissipates into useless energy. Think about that in your life. Too many times we want to blame God for something we think He has neglected to give us. Lord, You've not helped me in this area. Lord, where are You in this? And could it be that it's not that there's not power available for us through His grace? Maybe it's just that we haven't tapped into the source. Maybe we've resisted the Spirit of God. Maybe we've quenched the Spirit of God. Maybe we've stopped walking in the Spirit. Power dissipated. Useless energy. Reminds me of Moses. You may remember that Moses had two different kinds of power. Uh, One of them, his initial power was, he had the power of human government. Remember Moses' story? He grew up adopted by Pharaoh, and you know that he, he became a powerful prince in Egypt and had that power. Amazing. And he was the son, as far as the Egyptians were concerned, he was the son of Pharaoh. He knew his real roots. And the story is interesting, and I think it's Exodus chapter 2, that he is walking among the slaves, the Hebrews, his people. And he sees an Egyptian assaulting a Hebrew. And he has power. He is a man in great authority. And he responds. And he kills the Egyptian. He looks both ways to make sure no one's looking. But he uses his power. He had that power. Then, I think it was the next day or sometime after that, He's walking along and he sees two of his brethren, two Hebrews, two of the slaves, fighting with one another. Literally, physically fighting. And Moses goes in to intervene. And and the one says, what are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian? And he thought nobody was looking. And all of a sudden, just overnight, literally in that amount of time, when he realized it became known that he had killed an Egyptian... For the sake of a Hebrew, the word got to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh sought to kill him. And just like that, the power that he had as an adopted Egyptian son was gone. And he had to flee for his life. Now, to me, that just kind of is a beautiful picture of what happens. Of the First of all, the potential. In fact, if you ever get a chance... And again, remember, it's not a Christian book, but it's a great allegory 
about energy. It's called the energy bus. See Lynn, maybe she has an extra copy. Uh, but, but what a great story in that, remember, there are people that are energy givers. And if you're walking with the Lord, you're being sustained by His power, and you are one of those joints fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, that means you're giving energy to other people. And man, we have some energy givers in our church, don't we? You ever been down, come to church, and, it, and somebody talks to you and their words just gave you what you needed? Praise God for that. I want to be one of those people. Don't you? I want to be one, I want to be one of those people that goes to church and edifies others by my words. Builds them up, encourages them. And even when there's the need to exhort... It's not a tearing down, it's a, it's a building them up. It's giving them energy because you're, you're exhorting them according to the Scriptures by the power of God that is in you. But then you could also be one of those energy takers. And every place of employment, it seems, has one, at least one, you know. Every church has them. I mean, they're just all around. Every neighborhood has them. Hopefully one doesn't live in your house. But, uh, but don't be that. You know, don't be where... And, and here's, what, here's where it is. I'll close with this. It seems that energy takers are just... First of all, they're not walking in the Spirit. They're not living for God. And they're just focused on self. And so everything is about them. And they're the ones that are going to pull you down. Because they're not thinking. You know how the Bible says, Look not every man on his own things, but on the things of others. The basis of love is giving to meet someone else's needs. Some people are so consumed with themselves that they've lost touch with the ability to minister to others. Those are the energy takers. Now, I know you're, you may be thinking of someone right now that you know. Hopefully it's not your pastor. <laughs> if it is, let me know, would you, <laughs> please? Pastor, thank you for opening that door. Finally! Uh, there's going to be a long line on the way out today, right? I am laughing, but I, and I don't see all of you laughing, but <coughs> be an energy giver. We're not talking about no kundalini force. We're talking about being tapped into the power of God so that you can minister to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us. Lord, help us to, as we plumb the depths of the riches of your word, and we realize that your word has so much to say about this idea of energy and where we can get the right kind of energy, Lord. We don't want to be, uh, we want the mighty working of Thy Spirit, Your power that increases and gives us dynamite and power to walk in the Spirit, Father. We don't want uh, to, to be energized by that wicked one. So, Father, I pray that You'd help us. Maybe there's some folks here today that are not born again. They've not been born again the Bible way. They've not been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. They've not turned from their sin and stopped trusting in their own good deeds and, and trusted alone in the finished work of Christ. My prayer is that they would be saved today so they have that power. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Dave's going to come up and lead us in another song. Let's stand and close. If you are not born again, please see me or someone else in our church. Uh, you need to settle that. That is the most important issue.
Sikor hymnals woven up to hymn 200 and